Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. We are days away from the start of the European season, and we've got so many Yanks abroad in so many exciting positions, uh, either with Christian Pulisic over at Chelsea, gunning for uh, the UEFA Champions League and also the Premier League. Leeds is going to be a hell of a lot of fun to watch. Gio Reyna's coming back. Weston McKinney's coming back. There's a lot of exciting things for American fans. But before we really go too far on our excitement for, for the American players, I wanted to get an outside perspective. So I've brought in someone from the North, a Canadian. He is Adrian from Rabona TV. I want to talk to Adrian about some of these American players and kind of where they fit uh, within their teams, whether or not we should be as high on them as we actually are, just to get an outside perspective on, on all things American soccer. So Adrian, thank you so much for joining the channel. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for uh, allowing me to join you. This has been a long time coming. I want to start by apologizing because in the DMs, you said, can we do July? I thought I replied. I did not. So I ghosted you, but thank you for reeling me back in. You circled back. It was not on purpose. I promise you that, but I know that this is just further ammo for Philippe to say that Canadians are rude. I know it, but uh, no, we'll it's all good later. because I've definitely done been, been that on the other side as well. So, you know, no harm, no foul. I want to start with, with the golden boy of American soccer. He is the guy, and you already know who I'm talking about. He is the guy who, if I put a picture of him in the thumbnail it's going to do way better for the youtube channel if i don't put a picture of him he is the uh he is the guy for american soccer he is christian Pulisic. now he's in a bit of a weird spot right now he's been at chelsea for a few seasons now he came over on the big transfer on the big money from borussia dortmund and it's kind of been a mixed bag for Christian. There's been times where he looks like uh, the second coming of Eden Hazard, and there's times when he's been struggling to get minutes. He's he's dealt with a lot of injuries, uh, and, and now this summer it looks like Chelsea's reloaded, uh, bringing in Raheem Sterling. Uh, and it looks like Christian is going to start the season as on the bench. He's, he's going to be uh, struggling to get into the team with Mason Mount, who is the uh, who is the heir apparent for the for the English team, the English darling, and Raheem Sterling, who's that might be the two starting wingers for uh, for England come the World Cup. Uh, so understand that as an American fan, I mean, my first memory of this kid was watching him step onto the field for Borussia Dortmund at 17 years old, where he looked like his shin guards were too big for him and, and, and stepped on that field and just carried the weight of all of American soccer. And we've been watching with bated breath as, as he's ascended throughout his career and really hit some tremendous heights, but still every touch every kick of the ball. I mean, he's got all of the American soccer fan base on his shoulders. What are you thinking about for Christian Pulisic? How does he fit in this Chelsea squad for this upcoming season? Our partners at Bet Online continue to be your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports development, including this year's basketball championship finals, the NHL hockey conference finals, Major League Baseball, and the latest fighting news, and even next season's early NFL futures. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE to get the bonus and get into the action. Bet online, where the game starts. It's really, really difficult to judge because I, I know that Christian Pulisic and uh, you know all of the supporters of his that are American versus the ones that are Chelsea, there's sort of a weird sort of animosity between the two. And I think it's kind of a chicken and the egg sort of situation. I don't know that it's you know, the frustration from Chelsea supporters that he's always injured. And if you are frustrated that a player is constantly injured, that definitely speaks to the quality that they obviously possess, because otherwise, why would you care if he's injured? But then there's also the American side that's always, why isn't he playing? Why isn't he playing? Why isn't he playing? So that's sort of the chicken and the egg situation there. But I think if you look at him based on his quality alone and all the things you mentioned, especially when he was at Borussia Dortmund, um, he has to be, you know, if he's not the best player in CONCACAF, which I think that's Alfonso Davies personally, call me biased if you like. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he's definitely up there and we've seen just what he is so capable of. Now, I think that there's a mix of things going on with him at Chelsea. I think that the injuries, as you mentioned, definitely holds him back because once you get into the groove, we've seen him score very important goals for Chelsea, haven't we? What you see him get into the groove and when he's in form, he's a top, top player in that squad, I think, personally. But then the injuries come along. And then there's the Tuchel aspect. And if you can find me a single attacker that has thrived under Thomas Tuchel, like a true attacker, whether that be a winger or a striker, 
not many have so far. So there's definitely some sort of system issue that's going on at that club where attackers really struggle. We'll see how Raheem Sterling does, but he's never really been that clinical finisher for them. So it does add a lot of question marks, even further question marks as to what's going on at Chelsea. So I don't know. It does certainly feel like it would be best for Christian if he was to move away from Chelsea because of the struggles that he has had and many other attackers have had at that club right now. And it doesn't really feel like he's prioritized much. I mean, I don't follow him as closely as perhaps some of you American fans do. So you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't feel as if he is prioritized that much and that a move away would be beneficial for him because when he is on song, when he is fully healthy, he could be a devastating player as we've seen in flashes, but we just don't see it enough. Do we Sam? Yeah. I think you're speaking to the hearts of uh, American soccer fans everywhere. Whenever you say that he's not, um, He's not held in, in enough high regard by Thomas Tuchel specifically. I mean, there's a lot of people who share that opinion. Um, and coming off of last season, you know, there was a tweet that his dad sent out that said mm. that, uh, you know, he's he, he's he's um, he loves the club. He loves the city, but he's just not held in high enough regard. There was a lot of reports that he wanted more playing time. So there was a lot of people thinking that he was going to be exiting the club in the summer. And maybe that would have happened if Rafina would have came to Chelsea. Uh, mm-hmm. There would have been more shuffling, but um, it, it's it's it hasn't happened. There doesn't seem to be any rumors about it. It, it sounds much more likely that uh, Timo Werner might get a move out of Chelsea yeah. or, or Hakim Ziyech might get a move out of Chelsea before Pulisic does. Uh, but but I, I want to pull back it for a second i I did watch your um your preview and prediction video for the epl season Uh, you had chelsea i believe fifth or sixth so you're you're expecting yeah you're expecting them to not have that great of a season considering i guess expectations for that club why do you feel like they're not going to be one of the top four clubs in the premier league I just, and again, I got to reiterate this all the time. Predictions are ultimately a guess, a roll of the dice. It's, you know, you, you just sort of say, okay, are they better than this team? Do I expect this team to do better than yeah. Chelsea will, etc.? I think that Chelsea will have a very good defense, especially if they bring in Cucurella. Um, They already brought in Koulibaly. I think that they can maybe use another center back and then they'll be good to go or another right back or something. Um but they're very much a wing-back focused team. That's where they get a lot of their industry in the attack. And I find that last year, yes, granted, there was a lot of things happening behind the scenes at Chelsea. It was a very, you know, it was a club in upheaval at some t- point. They had Lukaku doing crazy interviews for Inter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, basically applying to go back to Inter midseason. Um, <laughs> so there was definitely a lot of commotion and noise behind the scenes at Chelsea. So that could explain some of the misfiring that they had, some of the results that they had that caused them to struggle a little bit. But I just think that they'll be solid defensively, but I do not trust at this point Thomas Tuchel to get the attack right. He hasn't been able to do that. There hasn't been any prolific strikers, as we were speaking about earlier. A lot of their industry, like I was saying, comes from either the wingbacks or guys like Mason Mount when they play tucked behind mm-hmm. the striker in the midfield or in a little slightly, you know, in that 3-4-2-1 sort of off of the striker type thing. So that's the reason why I think that they will struggle a little bit. And also because I think that Arsenal has done great work this transfer window. And I feel like they're a team that's on the up and they're starting to build their identity well. And they'll continue on that trajectory um, that they sort of set off on last season. And then on top of that, I I mean, this might be biased for me. I'm a huge Antonio Conte fan. I think that he is one of the best managers in the world and he always finds a way to get something out of players. And we saw that with Tottenham for them to get up into the Champions League places from where he inherited them. Now with a transfer window where he got players that he likes that fit his mold, I just think that Tottenham are going to go from strength to strength and be a really, really surprising team this season. So that's basically it. I have Liverpool and City. I think everyone has Liverpool City, either one or two. Um, And then I had Arsenal and Tottenham just ahead of Chelsea. But that being said, if Chelsea do find their groove in the attack, they could obviously be a very devastating team. But we haven't really seen that yet. Yeah, it's 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 so funny. I mean, whenever uh, Thomas Tuchel took over that squad, he instituted that three man back line because Chelsea under Frank Lampard were just had such a terrible defense yeah. uh, for that stretch, and they they were just allowing so many goals. And it sounded like it was supposed to be a stopgap thing for Chelsea, and it just hasn't gone away. And yeah. and, and it's it seems like that that three man front line has just. I mean, as much money as they've thrown at it, they just haven't gotten much production out of it at all. And and that 
I think that as much as anything else uh, of Pulisic having to learn that new position and, and having to operate as opposed to on the wing where he was so prolific, even under Frank Lampard, as to more that tucked in, uh, I, I don't even know what you want to call that position, that <laughs> second striker, or they've called it a false nine, they've called it a 10, they've called it um, the interior winger, whatever you want to call that, it's just, it's just been a struggle. I want to move on to another team in the Premier League that's going to feature quite a few Americans, uh, and that's Leeds. Uh, Leeds is, of course, head coached by Jesse Marsh. Let's start with Marsh at the top. Uh, there's a lot of Americans who are just over the moon with Jesse Marsh and really see him as uh, a big piece to legitimizing American soccer, which is always, always, always a huge point of emphasis for American fans and really feel like Jesse Marsh succeeding in the Premier League, whatever your definition of succeeding in the Premier League is, is going to go a long way towards uh, winning hearts and minds for American soccer in general. Now, I, I have my doubts about winning British hearts and minds about soccer regardless. I mean, I, I hear the way that they speak about the German League and, and the Spanish League, and I, I don't think that you're ever going to impress the English in any way. Uh, but w- how do you see Jesse Marsh? Do you, do you think that he has this opportunity to um, really gain ground for American coaches? Can he become uh, this guy that all of a sudden unlocks this floodgates of, of American coaches coming over to Europe and taking over? Or is this just like an isolated incident? It's it's hard for me to say because when I think of American coaches, um, I don't know them as intimately as you and your viewers will. So I can't say that there's another one on the rise that could make that sort of jump. But I can say that I uh, absolutely love Jesse Marsh. And this goes back to, you know, he was the first manager for Montreal. I, I live in Montreal. He was the first manager for Montreal when they came into MLS. He really was loved i thought by the supporters because they you know they they put out videos of him trying to learn french and it seems like wherever he goes whether that's austria germany wherever he tries to really ingrain himself in the culture and he really puts that effort in he doesn't just show up and doesn't bother learning the language or anything like that and i think that what he did at salzburg won a lot of hearts and minds as well i leipzig was unfortunate it did not look good there it did not work out for a multitude of reasons that i couldn't get into because i didn't watch them too closely but at salzburg i think that a lot of people saw okay this this guy fits sort of the red bulls type of mold that thinking and approach towards football that fast attacking pressing etc um and so at leeds they had another manager who likes to play a, a style of football that is seen as a bit avant-garde, I guess you could say. I don't know if that's the correct term for it, but it's a little bit off the wall, a little bit, you know, he likes yeah. to test things. He likes to not just play standard football. And with Jesse Bielsa, Marsh going right? there. Yeah. yeah, Bielsa, exactly. And with Jesse Marsh going there now, he isn't necessarily known for his defensive solidity with his teams. It's more, let's attack and, and see what we can, if we can cook the other team. So I, I'm really hopeful that he succeeds, one, because I like him, and two, because it would be a great story that an Amer- a North American, American, yes, North American, goes to the Premier League and succeeds. I, I do worry a little bit, um, as I think a lot of people do, about how they will do defensively. That's always sort of a question mark, especially since they had, pro- I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe the worst defense last season. Under Bielsa as well. I I think they did. I think they were worse than even Watford and like teams that were in the relegation zone. But someone can fact check us in the comments on that one. Regardless, it was poor. We'll just leave it at that. Um, So I am a little bit worried, but I do feel that sense of excitement um, in them going forward, especially with the players that they have brought in. And I think that this is almost like a great litmus test. It almost feels like a... It almost feels like a weird tryout or something, doesn't it, Sam? With like, you got an American coach, you have two top American talents in the team. Let's see what these boys can do. Um, So I'm going to be watching them very, very closely and very, very interested. And let's see. I I, I hope for the best just because I like Jesse Marsh so much. And I want to see more CONCACAF people succeeding. I know that's another thing that a a lot of people don't really understand or subscribe to is you know, cheering for a region to succeed just because I think that, you know, what's the saying? Waters raise all boats or something like that. Rising tide raises all ships. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, So and competition and, you know, raising the level for everyone is just super, super important for the region in general. But I think that I had them in like 15th or 16th or something like that. 
How do you see it going? Because it sounded like you were a little bit skeptical as to whether this would work out for him there. I don't know if I'm skeptical as much as I know that we have a lot of American eggs in that particular basket. Uh-huh. And as you said, this is going to be used uh, fairly or unfairly as like a barometer of mm-hmm. uh, of American soccer and, and whether or not it's it's something that should be taken seriously or legitimately. Um, I, I don't think uh, that the British public or, or the soccer public in general is going to give them any benefit of the doubt at all. And and as soon as either of these either uh, the coach or any of these players start to slip, I, I know exactly what's going to happen. So I'm kind of prepared for that. But watching them in preseason and knowing that the players that we they've brought in, specifically the Americans and Tyler Adams mm-hmm. and, um, and and Brendan Aronson. I know that those players are going to fit in that system. The question I have really is, is that Red Bull energy drink system going to fit in the Premier League? How is that going to work out? Um, You know, you're going from um, a a league in in Germany where there's a lot of disparity from the top of the table to the bottom of the table. um, And maybe it's not quite as physical and fast as the Premier League. And then you go to a team where everybody's got hard men on on, uh, on on their teams and everybody's got fast and physical guys uh, so how will that high press high energy work out against teams uh, that are going to be able to hit it up top to a, a big man who's going to be able to uh, head it along for a fast guy who's going to be able to you know punish them on the press it's 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 a scary thing but I'm very much looking forward to it I, I alluded to, to the two players that they brought in Brendan Aronson and Tyler Adams your thoughts on these guys I mean, Tyler Adams is a player that I definitely look, I admit I haven't watched much Salzburg. I'll be very open with that. I'm not going to be that guy that claims to, you know, know every single player in the world without even watching them. Um, so Tyler Adams, much more familiar with him than Brendan Aronson. Brendan Aronson, I've mostly seen him just in CONCACAF. I don't watch Salzburg much. Mm-hmm. I saw him in the Champions Me either. League. I'll be, I'll admit it. I don't watch a lot of Salzburg either. Yeah, I've exactly. I've mostly seen him with the <laughs> national team. Yeah. So everyone's being honest here. Okay. Um, so Salzburg, uh, sorry, Aronson, my bad. Um, from what I've seen, he looks like an all energy player that can be good at bringing teammates into the game really, really well. Uh, so I'm interested to see. I think that he's perfectly suited for the Premier League. Honestly, I think that he has enough energy and physicality that he'll be fine in the Premier League. Tyler Adams as well. I mean, we were talking about this a little bit before. I think that so long as he's given his role to just do his thing, which is, you know, break up play and play well defensively as he did at Leipzig prior to Nagelsmann, I think that he'll also succeed there. So I think that both of those players, I don't look at them as signings like, oh, these are the ugh, these are the guys that are going to struggle at Leeds. I think that they're both high quality players, some of the best players in CONCACAF, I don't know why I always keep looking back to CONCACAF, but whatever, it's a good way for sort of visualizing things. Um, and I think that, you know, you could do a lot worse than those two players. If you're looking at, you know, the spectrum of American players that you could bring to the Premier League, these are guys that you would want in there as, like you said, fairly or unfairly, sort of the litmus test of how they can do. All right, I I think it's fair for you to keep thinking about CONCACAF because I know... Americans certainly look at Alfonso Davies and and Mm -hmm. certainly MLS fans look at Alfonso Davies as this guy that shows what the ceiling could be. This guy that came out of MLS after a few years and became one of the best players in his position in the world. Um, And and after Alfonso Davies, I think before uh, Alfonso Davies and after Alfonso Davies in MLS, we're seeing um, a lot bigger team or uh, a lot bigger money come in for players a lot earlier. Teams are uh, looking for that next Alfonso Davies and seeing uh, if MLS has another one up their sleeve. So I, I think it's a very valid point to, to think about that uh, coming out of the region, especially since most of our players um, for both the United States and Canada are coming out of that same league. Yeah. Uh, so it is important. Yeah. And it's, you know, <laughs> keep saying this whether it's fair or unfair but it is look we're a region that's still fighting for respect ultimately Mm -hmm. and it's not being handed out to us very easily we'll always be referred to as yanks or maple syrup merchants or what have you because we aren't classic football nation so i guess that's sort of where it comes from where i keep saying best in the region Concacaf, etc 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 we're still fighting for that respect yeah let's let's move on to uh, another american who i Boy, I mean, 
when we think about this kid, we think about a guy who is potentially one of the great players in the world. We look at him right now as one of the top players of his generation. He is Gio Reyna. I think I, I haven't looked into it in, a, in a, I believe he's 19 years old right now. He just came off of a season where he was injured basically the entirety of the season. Uh, he came in for a, a few bits uh, for both the U.S. national team and for Borussia Dortmund. In one of the few games that he actually played for the national team, he played a game in Azteca against Mexico where he dribbled the entire Mexican uh, uh, midfield and back line. I mean, he dropped Ace Ace. I, I, I swear <laughs> that dribble is the reason why Ace Ace is playing for Houston right now. Um, that was a, a brutal clip. But, but I'm curious about your thoughts. Do you see Gio Reyna as one of these players who's absolutely one of the top players of his generation and a player that could be one of these mega transfer deals in a couple of years? I think that the ceiling for Gio Reyna, if we look at, if we look at all of the American players that are playing, playing abroad, Canadian players, Mexican, etc., I think that his ceiling is one of, if not the highest of all of them. Um, and like you said, it's just been so unfortunate how he has been hampered by injuries over and over and over again, because when you see him do things like he did at Azteca, when you see little flashes of his brilliance at Borussia Dortmund, I mean, that's, that's not nothing. I find that us football fans sometimes, and I'm guilty of it sometimes as well. We say, oh, but it's in Germany. Oh, but it's in France. This is still the pinnacle of football in a broad spe at the broad view of things playing in Germany for Borussia Dortmund, playing in France, what have you. If you're playing in a top five league for a top team, there's no one that should be talking down on anything that you have achieved thus far. And I think that Gio Reyna, you can just see the intelligence that he has on the ball. And that's something that you can't necessarily teach to players. And so all of these, te the technical side and his footballing brain or his soccer brain, um, that's going to take him far so long as he can stay injured. And that's ultimately, unfortunately, already the big asterisk right now. So hopefully this is just a blip. Hopefully he can stay healthy this season and really show just how good he is. Because playing under Edin Terzic at Borussia Dortmund, I think that they're going to be a really exciting attacking team. And having him fit in there with some of the players that they have already... I, I think that, like you said, or it's like you were asking about, I think he could be that, you know, the most expensive North American sometime in the future if he continues on this trajectory and stays healthy. Please stay healthy. <laughs> Yeah, and that's, that's a thing you could apply to just about every mm -hmm. uh, young American prospect right now. I mean, Christian Pulisic has dealt with injuries. Now it's Gio Reyna. Uh, Weston McKinney has dealt with injuries. Tyler Adams had an injury that kept him out for a long period of time whenever he first got to RB Leipzig. Serginio Dest has been struggling with injuries recently. It's just been nonstop. Let's move yeah. to uh, Italy now, to Weston McKinney. He's a player that has had an interesting career trajectory where he kind of hit the scene at Schalke and was playing every position i mean he played midfield he played striker for bits he was playing i believe he played right back i believe he played center back for a few games i mean he was all everything for a shocker squad that was just not very good at the time uh ends up getting this big move to juventus where people are looking at it on, on the face going what was pirlo thinking what is going on over at juventus this is very odd i mean he's a okay midfielder over for a pretty terrible Bundesliga squad, but how's he going to fit in at Juventus? He kind of hits the ground running at Juventus. Yeah. Gets some opportunities in the midfield. Shows himself to be um, an incredibly athletic midfielder. Um, a midfielder that's capable of getting goals, uh, both on, in set pieces and in open play. Just a huge engine. Um, just, just a really dynamic player. Now, Juventus has since kind of reinvented itself after a few down years and is really hoping to kind of reclaim uh, that, that crown that it's worn so long in, in the Serie A. Uh, so there are questions this year about um, whether Weston McKinney is going to be on the move for Juventus or how he fits in in that new look midfield with guys like Paul Pogba in the mix. Uh, he's currently out with a uh, shoulder injury. But wh where do you see Weston McKinney's season um, for Juventus this year? I think, well, first of all, I really like Weston McKinney. Um, if I had to choose a favorite American player currently... Well, one, I mean, I love the brain of Gio Reyna, so I think that he would he would take it for me. But two, I really like everything about Weston McKinney. I think that he... Hard not to, man. Hard not to. Exactly. He's re It's really hard not to like him. And you can see that in, in little videos from Juventus as well. He's very much a beloved player within that squad. And there's a reason for that, because he's 
a great guy and he works incredibly hard, but he's not just a grafter that goes out there and it's just all hustle. He clearly has a great touch, a great, he has great vision. He arrives at the, in the box at the right time to get on the end of cutbacks or headers or what have you. So he's one of those Swiss army knife players that I think that, you know, some players can play or sort of a jack of all trades and a master at none, but I think that he is at a high enough level that he can be useful for Allegri in multiple positions, mostly in the midfield. That's obviously mostly where he's going to play. But I think that he's I think that he should stick around at Juve because we've seen over the last few years, Paul Pogba can't be trusted to stay healthy for you know, long stretches of time. We're talking lengthy four to six months injuries constantly for Paul Pogba. Locatelli doesn't exactly have the cleanest um, injury bill either. Zakaria, he had tons of injuries when he was at Gladbach. Yeah, Gladbach before. So I think that opportunities are going to arise for Weston McKenney. Of course, when he gets back from his own injury as well. Seriously, that Juve midfield is looking a little, uh, a little fiberglass at the moment. Um, but I think that he should stick around because because Allegri seemingly likes him from what I've read. And he said he will play and he will get opportunities. And I think that he's shown time and time again that he can cut it in Serie A, which is a huge achievement. And he's gained the respect of his teammates. So I think he should stick around there. And I think that he'll get those opportunities and really seize them. Because we saw him score goals against, what was it, Barcelona or something yeah. in the Champions yeah, League yeah, a couple the, years ago? Yeah. yeah, he's killing it. I love Mustin McKenney, like everyone else does. I think the question with Wes is always kind of what is his level exactly? You know, like as soccer fans, we always ask that question, like what is the level? And we argue about what the levels are. In my mind, it's like it's, you have world class, which everybody has their own definition for. Then you have like the elite players and then you might have quality players, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and you kind of wonder, like, where is Wes in that? I, I don't know if he's elite but he seems better than quality. He yeah. seems like he, he's in this albatross in the middle there. <laughs> and and cut, some games you watch him and you're like, that's one of the best midfielders in the world right now. And some yeah. games you watch him and you go, uh, is he going to stick around at Juventus? And it's kind of figure where, where is he? I don't know, man. It's he, you're really, really nailing it right there. It's he's a bit confounding in that way because you see him and initially everyone had that thought what is Pirlo doing as you said this bringing this guy from Schalke this American kid and I always forget that he's only 23 still because he's been around for so long yeah I I always forget how young he is still but you see him with some of these you know elite or world-class players and he can hang you know he gets put in these teams and he can hang it's not like what is this guy doing he's standing out like a sore thumb so but then at the same time (laughs) <laughs> would you classify him then as one of those players? Not real. It's like a weird sort of dichotomy between he can hang with these players and he does well in these teams, but then on his own, would you classify him? <sighs> Man, you got me stumped right now. <laughs> I always remember I watch him. He looks like the only man in Syria who's allowed to sprint. Like he just, <laughs> he just operates at a different level, a different speed than everybody else. Everybody's yeah. playing real tactical, uh, really conserving energy, not Wes. Wes is a bull in the China shop. Let's, let's move it along. I, I, got, I got some interesting questions I have for you. The first, first off, we've been talking pretty highly about a bunch of American prospects right now, but I know that you're very engaged in the, uh, I guess, the North American soccer discourse or just like the English language soccer discourse. So you're... you're quite um, versed in, in the American soccer discourse. What do you think is the most overrated American player right now? Most overrated? Um, so, so this is sort of a weird one, but sometimes I think it's... Sometimes I think it's Pulisic. Because there's some people that just go way too far with the Pulisic praise. Very, very good player on his day. Can be one of the best in CONCACAF. Again, I'm going back to CONCACAF. Can be one of the better attackers in Europe on his day. But some people speak about him. If we're talking about on Twitter discourse, which, you know, that's already a red flag. (laughs) Um, But some people speak about him as if he is the number one player in the world that should be the first name on the team sheet, no matter where he is, what club he's at, whatever. So in some ways, I want to point to him. Um, I think it used to be Serginho Dest. There is, but even he's a bit divisive now, I find, amongst certain American supporters. No? Am I wrong there? Um, I think that there is an admission that he's got to get better on defense. Mm-hmm. I think that before he got hurt, um, 
he was playing a lot better. He was he was kind of yeah. hitting his best form that he's hit as a professional player. So it's a shame that he got hurt when he did. So mm -hmm. I think the uh, there's like question marks about what he's going to look like whenever he returns for uh, for Barcelona. Uh, but it seems like he's lost that starting job. So I think that he's kind of taken it a little bit on the chin. Um, but I mean, that's a player that's just capable of just such fun soccer that I, I, he's he's captured a lot of hearts and minds for fans. It is, yeah. He's definitely one of those players where you sometimes wish he would just play as a winger as opposed to a right back. It feels like it's almost against his will yeah. that he's been forced into that position. But I think that there was a moment where the Serginho Dest hype was just insane. And I think the rest of the world was looking at it like, this guy? You're talking about this this guy that can't defend? Who's a right back that can't defend? Um, so I think that there was a moment, but that's really died off. And there's, as you said, there's been sort of admissions. Other than that... Most overrated. Yeah, I think honestly, the uh, the Pulisic talk can get a little out of hand sometimes, um, which is funny to say because he obviously is a very high quality player, but some people just take it too far, as as people do of every country, you know, <laughs> every yeah. country. Like there's there's a lot of Canadians that really annoy me with the Jonathan David <laughs> hype as well. Um, and just, I mean, I think we're going to get into some fan culture talk in a second here, but you know, there's a lot of people that just fail to admit any failings of players um, just so that they can, you know, go back to a tweet they did 12 months ago that said that they liked this player or that he was good and retweet yeah. it and say, look, I knew all along. I was right all along when they finally do one thing. Right. So, yeah, I uh, you got to stand by your take. That's right. That's <laughs> right. I think uh, I think that all sort of fans are sort of guilty of that. But to answer your initial question, I would say that the Pulisic uh, hype sometimes gets a little bit crazy for me. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about that fan culture. I mean, I, I think, um, you're probably like myself kind of grew up watching, uh, EPL highlights and, and a lot of the European game. And a lot of the discourse that we had access to was all European. There was not even the, the, uh, the, the shows in, in the U S which I was watching that were soccer shows were voiced by Europeans. They had British and English, um, commentators, uh, coming in to tell us about the game. And, and now we've gotten this point where, everybody has a voice. So we're getting the American voice, we're getting the, the Mexican voice, we're getting the Canadian voice, and we're still getting that, that British voice in a big way in, in sort of the English uh, language soccer sphere. How do you, whatever, how, what, what are some telltale signs that you're discussing soccer with an American whenever you're talking online? Oh God, telltale signs. Um, <laughs> I think that this is applicable to kind of, everyone in CONCACAF right now, or at least I, let me say this. I think it's applicable to both Canadians and Americans, what I'm about to say. And that I think that the way that the game has developed somewhat rapidly over the 20, last 20 years or so, um, there's a lot of, you're seeing a rise of supporters that don't necessarily follow a certain club. Um, and they either follow players or mm -hmm. they support their national team, which is a little bit interesting. And it's, it's led to a lot of new fans coming out, which is great because you want to see the game grow, but there's a lot that are getting a little bit too arrogant too quickly. Um, and that's, like I said, that includes Canadian supporters. I'm seeing a lot of Canadian supporters that are getting way too ahead of themselves for finishing in first and qualifying. Like, yes, that is great, but this is not the finished product. And this is what, a two years, a two year slice of time, basically mm -hmm. that we're looking at. Um, so I find that both sides, there's a lot of just argumentative arrogance. <laughs> and I think that that you can apply that to literally any country, really. But we're, what makes North America unique is, like I was saying, is that you're seeing a lot of people who don't necessarily follow a club. They just follow the players and they ride or die with those players for their national mm -hmm. team. And they see them as the the best thing in the world. and the emphasis has often gone from instead of looking at what your country is doing well, it's dunking on another country for something that they may have, you know, had a little bit of a stumble here or there for. I don't know if I really answered your question there. In fact, I don't think I answered your question and I apologize <laughs> for that. So if you can feel free to fire me another one. <laughs> it's, it's, 
It's an interesting thing, you know, um, I, we were talking before the video started about, um, you know, that you have like a, um, a British fan in your comment section because they're, they're correcting the way that you said some small town or, or yeah. pronounce some player's name or something like that, or, or really just being really condescending and coming off like they're the, um, the arbitrator of all things soccer. And because you're from North America, you don't really know what you're talking about. Uh, whereas uh, the, the American fans, at least in my experience, are interesting because, you know, we don't come from this rich soccer culture. So there is this inherent insecurity mm-hmm. kind of built in and this, this, um, this need to show that we know what we're talking about and this need to feel validated uh, from the British, which is a culture that is uh, known for centuries of not validating anyone outside <laughs> of, uh, of the British. So it, you have this like weird... Um, thing happening where where you know we want this validation we're never going to get this validation but we're also have that american arrogance that i think just yes. is, is inherent in who we are and, and that always comes through is that something that you've kind of had experience with yes and what you said a word that you said there triggered something in my brain uh triggered something uh, a thought in my brain is the insecurity and that's something that i noticed a lot of during this previous qualifying or quali- yeah qualifying cycle, sorry, my brain it's it's getting hot in here. We're at uh, twenty seven degrees Celsius, so it's getting hot in here. Um, no idea what that means. All yeah, right. sorry, I- I'm the exact same way. People say Fahrenheit, and I'm like, cool. I you may as well be writing it in hieroglyphics. Um, but so that's something that I notice whenever I would have. And <laughs> let me be real. Filippo is a good friend of mine. You know Filippo well as well. Yeah, yeah. I know he, him very well. He's grown his his Twitter through spicy takes. He's done very well in that regard. Um, but there was almost a sense of insecurity and paranoia in that the focus almost became so much on Canada and saying like, oh, I can't believe they're celebrating what's going on with them. Like they haven't even been to a tournament yet. Whereas it's like, there's a, there's a group of vocal minority of Canadian supporters that are incredibly annoying and very arrogant, like I said, because they're new supporters. All they've known is this newfound glory for Canada and they need to stay in their lane a little bit. But then there's the old supporters that are just like, oh my God, I can't believe this. This is amazing. We have quality players. We're at the top of qualifying. This is great. I've literally never seen my country make it to the World Cup before. And then you'll have noisy little American accounts come up and be like, show some respect. This was one time. You guys haven't even won anything yet. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, dude, come on. Like, we're just trying to enjoy ourselves at a time where we should be because finally our country is starting to do well and focus on developing their talent in the proper way for the first time in decades, even though there's a lot of issues behind the scenes still at Soccer Canada. So that's one thing that I noticed was there was almost like a, like it really hit the ego of some American supporters that Canada, the maple syrup guys are at the top of the standings and actually playing really well. And then they try to say, no, you're just low block merchants, blah, 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 blah. That's one thing that I really noticed in the qualifying cycle. But other than that, I mean, everyone's annoying. Yeah. Serie A supporters are annoying, and that's fair. And, and we can't we can't not mention Mexico because the Mexico. No. Fan, yes. I mean, that's their own subsection mm-hmm. of uh, just really believing in their own country's players yeah. to the point where it's ridiculous. I've seen so many arguments uh, in on Twitter about just some Mexican prospect that I've never heard of and about how they're like the best player, the best U20 in CONCACAF. What are we yeah. even arguing about I don't know. right now? I don't know how many times I've seen threads of people arguing about like transfer marked values for youth players from Mexico. That is just like, why? Why are you choosing this hill to die on? It doesn't make any sense. And who cares in the end? Nobody cares. It doesn't matter. Well, yeah, speaking of hills to die on, I mean, um, we're a few months away from the World Cup. Um, the U.S. has had kind of a, it, it's kind of been a bumpy ride throughout World Cup qualifying. They did end up qualifying, but it, it took a little bit more than a lot of fans were expecting. A very young squad, a squad that was still kind of building throughout World Cup qualifying. Some young players emerged uh, throughout World Cup qualifying. Um, all that uh, has put head coach Greg Berhalter in in uh, some murky waters for a lot of fans or a lot of fans that don't believe in him at all. Um, what are your what is your kind of take on Greg Berhalter uh, and your expectations for the U.S. heading into uh, Qatar? It's interesting because when you look at his record in general for the United States, it's 
pretty good. <laughs> it's it's a pretty solid record if I'm not mistaken, right? Like he has a a lot yeah. of wins. He's won a couple of trophies, doing well. And then it gets to a point where they could be so much better. The United States could be so much better. And whether that's down to Bearhalter, whether that's down to maybe the overhyping of certain talents, I couldn't tell you because I don't follow the United States as closely as uh, a lot of you and your supporters would do or your uh, viewers would do. Um, but I would say that going into this World Cup, the U.S. is definitely, the, for me at least, the strongest of the CONCACAF teams going into it. And the team that I expect to go the furthest, probably. Um, I think that as far as talent goes, and I guess that's where the frustration comes in, is as far as talent goes, the USA, I think, has the best talent pool. Um, and... Yeah, I think that the group is not easy. Wales is not an easy opponent. England's going to top the group. I think everyone can agree with that. Or they should top the group. If they yeah. don't, that's an issue. Um, and is it Iran is the other team? Yeah. Difficult opposition for sure, but a team that the United States, you would expect them to beat. So I think that the States should make it out of the group stage. Um, and then that puts them against who knows i can't remember exactly i just did a video with Filippo the other day and i can't remember who that would put them up against most likely yeah i'm not even looking that far ahead yeah i don't don't, want don't to bother know. don't bother just <laughs> ignorance is bliss right just uh, yeah. take it one one game at a time but i think that when you look at the teams coming out of Concacaf and you look at the united states in particular that is a team that i think should be making it out of their group given the draw that they got um, and, uh, unfortunately can't say the same for Canada, but for the United States, I think that they, uh, they definitely have the strongest of the CONCACAF teams and the best group personally. So tell me about Canada. I mean, mm -hmm. heading into World Cup qualifying, uh, they didn't have a great goal cup for sure. Um, didn't have a great nations league for sure. They hit world cup qualifying and just hit the ground running. Uh, John Herdman had them playing some, uh, really good counterattacking soccer. Now to be fair for Canada, they, they did, uh, exceed their XG if you're an XG guy. Uh, so they were kind of way ahead on that. Uh, so that, that has some people questioning kind of the sustainability of that. If world cup qualifying would have went on, uh, but what were your thoughts on the Canadian team throughout world cup qualifying? And boy, you guys got a brutal group in, uh, Belgium, Morocco, and Croatia. What are you hoping to see in the World Cup? So in the qualifying, I think that it went beyond everyone's expectations. And it, find a, it kind of felt like we were you know, playing with house money at some point when Alfonso Davies was out for more than half of our qualifying matches. And we still managed to get through in first place. So I think that beyond expectations is one thing. Ecstasy is another feeling that everyone was feeling, especially as younger supporters that have never seen Canada in a World Cup before. Um, so I think that Herdman has sort of shown that I, I think he's the best coach in CONCACAF personally, because I don't think that Canada has the top talent pool. I think they have a very good, we have a wealth of attackers, of very good attacking players, very good strikers, which is rare in CONCACAF. We have very, very good strikers. We have decent wingers and wingbacks getting better in the midfield defense, I think is our main issue. And so Herdman showed that he can organize a defense very, very well, and that can bring success to us. Now that kind of gives me false hope for the world cup, because like you said, Belgium, I mean, come on, we're, we're not going to beat Belgium. If we beat Belgium, that would be incredible. That would be one of the results of the tournament. I'm sure right off the bat, Croatia, that's a team that knows how to play in tournaments. We saw how well they did in 2018 when no one expected them to go all the way to the final and they managed to do that. And they have world-class talent, you know, Modric, Perisic, etc. And a lot of good young talent coming through as well for Croatia. Morocco, they have a lot of issues going on behind the scenes with some of the players like Ziyech and etc, etc, etc. Some of their top talents aren't really getting along with the national team manager. So we'll see how that sort of plays out. I mean, as, as you guys saw, you guys played them recently and I think it was maybe Hakimi was one of the only big stars that was mm -hmm. there for them. Um, so we'll see how that sort of plays out. But I think that my expectation for Canada at this World Cup is two losses and maybe our big you know, lifting the, lifting the nothing trophy, like we always see from FIFA, our big uh, <laughs> takeaway from the World Cup could be maybe a victory against Morocco on that final day. But other than that, I think it's close to a lock having Croatia and Belgium go through, which is unfortunate, but 
this is a team that is building towards 2026, I think. I think that's a more realistic thing to look towards and hope that some of the younger talent starts to develop and get more opportunities abroad, etc., uh, which we are seeing a lot of. So if those seeds start to grow for 2026, maybe we get a lucky draw and we can get make something happen in that tournament. But for this one, it's all about the experience of going to it and you know just doing your best and having fun. <laughs> yeah, you never know. I mean, the U.S. has been in that position many times in a World Cup and has has come through. Yeah. Um, I think like 2002 is like the best example of that going up against some some really quality team opponents and. They 2014 were, yeah they, they didn't do as well as they were expecting uh, mm-hmm. the opponents didn't do as well as they were expecting the americans just kind of hang on and things worked out for them uh yeah. you kind of led me to uh, a question that i wanted to ask which is um this 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 um this rising of the canadian national team and, and the production of these players that are among the very best in Concacaf. Uh, i mean alfonso davies and jonathan david are like a top dogs but then you've got like tejan buchanan and there's like a, a few other players behind them that are uh very good players uh uh, is is this a golden generation for Canada? You feel like this is this is the first wave. This is something sustainable. I I would like to think that it is something sustainable. And what we're seeing as far as players that are moving abroad and are getting opportunities at better and better clubs, um, I think that it feel coupled with. Sorry, I'm stumbling over my words. With coupled with the integration of the Canadian Premier League, um, definitely not a top top league yet. That's for sure. But it's getting better and better. And finally, young Canadian talent actually has somewhere to go as opposed to just Toronto FC's academy. And they hope and they pray that they're one of the kids that makes it through. And then if they don't, that's kind of the end of the line for them. Or they go and play university or college football and then sort of peter out praying that they get into MLS. Now they have a place where they have a professional setting where they can get trained by good coaches. I mean, the team I support is called Pacific FC on the West Coast. One of the coaches there came from Benfica. Um, He's a Portuguese guy. So there's all of this sort of infrastructure is being built and all of these sort of outlets for young talent to actually have legitimate training and opportunities, which has always been the biggest sort of stumbling block for Canada is that these young players... They have to hope that they can, you know, get enough money to go abroad and hope that a team in Sweden or something like that will take them into their academy. So they're slow, we're slowly building the infrastructure. And that makes me optimistic for the future. Um, and, you know, if you had asked me in March how Canadian soccer is looking as far as behind the scenes and the development of it and everything and the people that are running things and how they're doing so, I would have been like, yes, we're heading in the right direction. It's all great. But recently there's been some of those controversies that I'm sure you've heard about. Um, And it feels like we're just kind of holding ourselves back as we always have been. So hopefully that gets sorted out soon and assuming that it does. I think this will always be sort of looked at as one of the golden generations just because of the talent that we have right now. But I'm very, very optimistic that we can continue on in this trajectory. We have guys like, you know, Theo Corbiano and stuff that was at Wolves. He's now going on loan into the championship and getting valuable experience there. So yeah, long answer short, I am optimistic that we will continue on this trajectory and always be there sort of in that top three or four in CONCACAF now, as opposed to, you know, losing to Antigua and stuff like that. Yeah, that would be great because, I mean, Canada in the mix in World Cup qualifying made this cycle a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, even though it wasn't the greatest cycle for the Americans, just having uh, the Canadians there as a foil. And it, it's like a natural rivalry with the United yeah. States was a whole lot of fun. Um, I know you mentioned all the... Um, the domestic players and, and building that that domestic base but i know canada is one of those nations very similar to the u.s very similar to like jamaica that has a lot of dual internationals mm-hmm. and, and classically canada hasn't done a great job of uh getting those dual internationals to play for canada because they just didn't have the greatest national team and they didn't see that as an avenue to play for the world cup so i'm wondering uh now that canada has this base and they're heading to the world cup are you going to be able to woo some of those um those dual internationals and if you look through the list in years prior i mean there's been some really good canadian dual internationals who didn't end up playing for the canadian national team so that's another avenue for success for canada now i want to wrap this up but before we do uh i I know rabona tv is one of the great uh soccer channels out on youtube i'm hoping that everybody's watching this is aware of that and if not make sure you go subscribe but what do you have planned for the world cup for your channel 
So I, last time there was a World Cup, I did daily uploads. Um, and that was difficult. <laughs> that was very difficult. That was very long days. I think I'm going to do something in that sort of region. But instead of doing fully edited videos every single day, I might start just doing some live streams, getting some friends to hop on, that kind of thing. But it's going to be as close to daily or daily uploads as you can get basically. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to it because that's sort of like our, uh, you know, sort of like our tax season. Say Super Bowl. Like you want to yeah, say exactly. Super it's Bowl. It's like Super Bowl. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're like, we're, we're in it. We're, we're hustling for a full month. And I, I sort of like the idea of the challenge of, you know, can I do this daily? What kind of content yeah. can I bring? And then people start to rely upon you and your coverage and, you know, they watch other YouTube channels, etc. It's really, really fun. So I'm looking forward to that as close to daily as possible. Definitely watch alongs. And then uh, also just reactions and uh, analysis of all the other matches that are happening on the day as well. I got I got really excited, man. I wanted to hear what you were going to say. Because every American would say Super Bowl. I was thinking, is he going to say like Stanley Cup final or something like that? What is he, what is he about to say? <laughs> no, and, and I went for the most boring thing. My my wife is a... You said tax a, season. Yeah, exactly. My wife is a uh, is an accountant slash auditor. So I said, yeah. like, I was this, like, what's this a really is our busy tax time? season, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is our this is our uh, end of year tax season, guys. Let's <laughs> let's go. All right. So, Adrian, you've got Rabona TV working on... Where else can people find your content, get in touch with you? What other socials do you have out there? I also am on Twitter. If you want to find me, I am not a prolific Twitter, but I am active. So Rabona underscore TV on Twitter. And then I also have a podcast with, as you know, Filippo Silva from uh, Tactical Manager TV, Josh, JJD TV, Canadian fella, um, and Manuel Veth as well, who's a great journalist and transfer specialist as well. So you can check us out there, Unsackable on any listening platform. I think. I don't know. I, I assume. I'm told that it's on every platform. I just listen on Spotify, but hey. Yeah, no, I know. I feel you there. It, it shows up with a little green checkbox, but I don't know. I'm not going to go out there and look. I'm, I'm assuming it's there. Nobody said anything otherwise. But anyway, guys, thank you so much for watching. Make sure you hit the like button, subscribe button, all that good stuff. Turn on notifications. Is there anything else that people need to do? I don't know. It, it's like changes like, every now and then. Like the video. Yeah. Like the video. There you go. Like the video. <laughs> Guys, for Adrian, my name is Sam, and this has been the Yank Report. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.